एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं अक्षय हाई दिस इज सौरभ एंड यू आर लिस्निंग टू द फाउंडर थीसिस पॉडकास्ट We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country, and we want to learn how to build a unicorn. I'm I'm Hemant Kanoria. I'm the chairman of uh, Shrey Infrastructure Finance Limited. Start them young to teach them better is the motto of most Indian Marwari business families. and that is exactly what Hemant Kanoria's father had in mind when he entrusted him with the responsibility of reviving two sick flour mills at the age of 18 when he was growing up in Kolkata in today's episode of founder thesis akshay dat talks to hemant kanoria and they discuss how he took the business ahead and turned it into shrey infrastructure finance limited which has assets worth around 6 billion us dollars today So it was a very difficult time because uh, turning around two sweet units, we were successful in doing so. And but at the same time, the government policies changed, and because of the change of the government policies, all the flour mills in West Bengal came to uh, to almost a close down. And we had to also close down these two flour mills. We had our family had the largest flour mill in Asia that particular time. Bengal flour mill. So what happened? What changed the government policy? So the government decided that uh, the flour mills they were being allocated wheat, which was a raw material, that they would not be allowed. Uh, they had to buy it in the open market, and they would not be given any allocation. And at the same time, they introduced tax on the on the final finished products, which was flour and all the others. So because of that, the whole market changed because we had to bring in wheat because West Bengal is not a wheat growing area. So we had to bring wheat from Haryana and Punjab. and we used to bring it in rakes because it was essential commodity so on the way any of the government departments could uh, stall the rake at the train and take over the wheat and then compensate okay. the later on so therefore you know it was like a chaotic kind of a condition because of the government policies and then it was a discouragement for people to have a production plant in west bengal because uh, there were taxes which were imposed on the finished product but there there was no tax on the raw material so therefore it made it uh, it created a huge non competitive uh, advantage there was no advantage it was a disadvantage for all the companies and therefore the smaller mid sized mills had to close down immediately the larger ones also they struggled because they required huge quantity of raw material which they were not able to procure or get so over a period of time the entire face of the flour mills in west bengal changed and our family was having the largest flour mill which was set up by the britishers in 1830 so therefore that also had to it was a blue chip company it was a listed company but you know everything had to come to a close down and this happened by the time all the flour mills were closing down it was 87 88 so about 6 years of my life i was engaged in the family business of the flour mills and all the animal feed plant trading businesses etc so that's how i 
spent my time learning the art of uh, the business okay so how old were you when uh, the mills had to be shut down i was about uh, 24 25 okay so then what did you uh, decide to do next like so, this is obviously the genesis of sri but i just want to hear from you like how that actually happened so then we tried our hands in a lot of things because sri also stands for uh, we uh, floated this company which was known as sri radhakrishna export industries so if you see the abbreviations it stands for sri but actually it was sri radhakrishna export industries because we started dabbling in exports of uh, of uh, leather goods of uh, handkerchiefs of you know of various things and we were, we also set up a cigarette filter plant for exporting so we tried that unfortunately those did not work out well and uh, so therefore you know there were a lot of uh, failures in my early days in life so which was good because it taught me a lot of lessons what to do and what not to do and uh, then my one of my younger what brothers, were some of the lessons that you 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 know that served you well throughout like that you learned in that phase of experimentation see one thing which was there is that never give up because see the opportunities will always be there in adversity but because of some adversity has happened so that does not mean so it was a solution orientation which was there because when you take over two farms one being closed and one sick so you start thinking from the beginning for on solutions and not on problems because problems are already there so you have to find out solutions and therefore the genesis of shri also happened because infrastructure in the late 80s and beginning of 90 infrastructure in india was, was in shambles whether we look at power plants because calcutta especially had a lot of potholes it had a lot of uh, load shedding and that is how we grew up so therefore the infrastructure was in shambles and also the liquidity for the country that time was a problem because india had to pawn the gold to raise money less the gold so therefore you know it was basically we had both these two crises and uh, that is why i thought that there would be an opportunity me and my younger brother sunil and the guidance of my father so we thought about it that what we should be doing we said okay finance is a problem for the country infrastructure is a problem so therefore there would be definitely opportunities because in all both these two areas were problematic so we started financing infrastructure so as finance was a problem in infrastructure so we got into financing and infrastructure so that's how the uh, the uh, shri started the genesis of shri and then we did our first ipo in 1990 so uh, before before we reach the ipo so when you started i, I want to understand more about that time so you were financing infrastructure where was the money coming from was it your own family money or was it uh, like you borrowed from banks to lend it out further yeah so our first line of credit which we got from the bank was about 5 lakhs of rupees so you can just imagine that you know in 89 when you start a company you get a 5 lakh of rupees as a limit you have your own capital of 25% of that so that is how with uh, very modest means shrey was started because we didn't know how this business would would be doing we had no idea as a family about financing we had no idea as a family about infrastructure infrastructure had not opened up that time so therefore we started financing with construction equipments to contractors and that is why how we got in touch with uh, lnt lasan and tubro was manufacturing construction equipment mining equipment which they were not able to sell because 
the total sales of construction mining equipment in iron used to be just about 100 crore per annum which peaked to about 30000 crore about 4 5 years back per annum so therefore that is where we have seen the journey and we were a part of the journey with uh, so with the manufacturer we used to go to also help them in the sales go to the contractors and convince them that buying equipment will help them to improve their efficiency cut down their construction time and uh, their payback used to be about a year so if a, if a contractor bought an equipment he was able to pay back the interest and the installments uh, again and the principal within just one year so that was the payback that's how we introduced the mechanization into the construction and mining field along with the manufacturing and uh, then infrastructure started opening up subsequently how did you get your very first deal like you know the first financing that you did like how did that come about so basically the first financing was in collaboration with uh, as i mentioned that Larson and Tubro was the company that we tied up and with the regional manager here they were also trying to find out how to improve their sales and we were also trying but how did Larson and Tubro know about you because you were till then like an unknown entity. no because i knew the i re- knew the person concerned here so you know through the contacts, etc., with chambers of commerce and also therefore we had just uh, met with each other and we became friends and we was trying to sort out our problem. We were trying to find solutions to the problems. Therefore, as I mentioned that, you know, the whole approach from life, from the beginning of my career in business has been solution orientation. That if there is a problem, there is a solution which is embedded in that problem. So always look at the solution and not the problem. So, uh, how did the uh, business grow from the, the five lakh line of credit which you started by the time you reached to IPO stage? Like, how much were you uh, was on your loan books? Like the total amount, and you know, if you can share that journey of uh, building it up. So, I think that that time we what we were adding was in lakhs. It was not in crores because the times were also different. It is not. Uh, we are not talking about today's times where everything is in uh, billions of dollars. It used to be not even touching billions. So doing your first million itself was a Herculean task. And billions were just unimaginable at that particular time. So therefore, and, you know, there was nothing to lose because uh, I was young. I was about 26 or so. So therefore, there was a lot to do in life. And uh, because of the first few years, of seven, eight years of being in the flower milling businesses and other businesses, which was initially started off with difficult times, then it became successful. Then again, it was a failure because of the circumstances and the government policies changing. So it was good because it was the up and down. So the usual business roller coaster ride, I was able to see it in a very short In a way, you lost your fear of failure very early on because you saw it up close pretty early. Yeah, so I would not say failure. I would say that I had my first roller coaster ride quite early in life in business. So therefore, you know, you never, you when you go on a roller coaster ride, you don't, uh, you enjoy both going up and coming down. So the entire mindset changes, and that's fortunately the mindset I had uh, had a change in my mindset too. That that's how you look at businesses. And uh, that's why we started off with uh, Shrey. And it was about, uh, you know, first 
we got from the bank, then again we were able to increase the business. Next year we got a line of 25 lakhs, then again it increased. So the, it was a gradual progress in the initial days. Till the time that in 1990, 89-90, everyone was coming from for an IPO. So we also thought that, you know, let's do an IPO. So we got many of the investment bankers to get convinced on our idea. And we did a princely sum in 1990 of 1 crore 80 lakhs was our IPO. And that was again quite a, you know, quite an experience because to raise 1 crore 80 lakhs, I had to have all the usual brokers meetings and uh, press meetings, investment bankers. So we, have the, we had the best of investment bankers with us. And uh, we did our road show starting from Surat to Baroda to Ahmedabad, Jaipur, Chennai, Calcutta, Mumbai, Delhi, everywhere. So therefore, you know, just to raise one crore, sometimes when I just look back and think about the journey which I made to raise that one crore 80 lakhs was quite an interesting journey. Now people will just, you know, for one crore 80 lakhs, they will just back their eyelid and the money will just go in. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, the way that we went about and uh, then we were so in how, what was your like uh, size before the IPO like you know that 1 crore 80 lakhs increased your asset size by how much like did you like double it with that yeah, all, yes yes almost doubled it okay <laughs> and then we came out with the rights issue hmm. again in 92 then again, we had a follow-on issue. So, you know, then continuously we kept on because once we had gone into the market, then we, we had got used to understanding how the market uh, would behave. And if we, if we had a good uh, proposition, then the market would definitely contribute to that. And uh, for the last 30 years, we have seen very, very many ups and downs. So it's not been just every time up. But as I said that, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. So... You enjoy while you are going up. You also enjoy the thrill when you are coming down because, again, you have to go up. It's a roller coaster. So, it's so uh, and the lending business also started getting diversified. Uh, uh, tell me about that journey also, like how you diversified beyond just lending for equipment. So, what happened was that as we were growing, in 95, we got the first development financial institution, the German government, to come in and extend a line of credit to us because they thought us to be a unique, unique platform where we were lending as a private sector company, lending to the infrastructure. And we were not only lending to the medium or large projects at that time because we had not started lending to the medium and large projects. We had only been lending to the enablers which were the construction companies and the contractors. Because if they did not, if they were not enabled to execute the work properly, then all the projects would not have happened. So we were absolutely at the ground level with these contractors and construction companies and we had devised ways of assessing their risks and working with them as a financial partner instead of just being a financial bank because that model would not have worked out because many of the companies they did not even have a balance sheet i remember my first instance that because we hired a couple of bankers in our company because we wanted to do all the assessment etc so we had one gentleman from a public sector bank we had another gentleman from a from a multinational bank who had joined in our team and their evaluations would have resulted in doing no business. So we had to find out unique method of understanding because the first time when we wanted a contractor 
to bring his balance sheet. So show us a balance sheet. So he brought his chartered accountant. And uh, so I was quite amazed that, you know, what would I be doing the chartered account with the chartered accountant? And he told me that please tell him what kind of a balance sheet that you require and he'll make it and give it to you. because you know the concept for a contractor to have a balance sheet and everything should be structured because they used to hire manual Uh, you know usually the contractors that time were known as uh, thekedar you know you don't have the thekedar coming with a balance sheet and all so he thought it was like a all cash business yeah yeah so he thought because he had to give all the workers everyday cash or every week cash so therefore whatever money that he got from the principal he had to convert it into cash because he could distribute it he had to buy all the materials in cash and there were no machines that time so we were introducing him to machines which was uh, at the end of day improving his efficiency and also the productivity. So therefore, from that particular perspective, it was a new world for him. It was a new world for us. So we had to invent that how do we make the assessment in a proper manner of the credit and the risks that we were taking. So therefore, it was a different world altogether. And we then, so how were you different from a bank? Like, what was your assessment methodology that that was unique to you? So it was very simple. So what we used to look at was that, uh, you know, the key elements for us was the track record of that person, that what he was doing, which area was he operating it, who was the principal, what was his capability to complete the project. And also that if he bought these equipments, A, B, C, D equipments, with those equipments, how his efficiency will improve and how much of more contribution that he would have that he can be, he can be increase his profit. At the same time, he would be in a position to pay back our interest and the installments which was there. So these were very practical on the ground assessment which had to be done. And we had to even travel along with him to his sites to see it, whether it be a mining site or it be a site. So you know, whether we had to travel in buses or we had to travel because many of the places, the trains did not go. So you go on a train journey, then you take a bus and you reach that particular site. You see how it was working. And if he, if he puts in equipment, that what is the augmentation of his cash flow? So, And who was the principal? So whether the principal had the capability to pay or not and the intent, intent to pay. And the contractor also, whether he had the capability to pay That was one which was done through an assessment, but his intent to pay, because his intent was not there to pay. So therefore, you know, whatever you may have done on the balance sheet assessment, it would have all been futile. So these were the practical kind of things that we were basically making an assessment on. And gradually, we put that into our system for assessment. So we institutionalized the entire organization by putting in whatever our learnings were there, we put it into documents and then when the teams came in, the professionals, when they joined in, they were all trained to make the assessment in that particular way. So you like first learned it firsthand and then created a process around it, which then you were able to hire people to follow the process and yeah. scale it up. Hmm. Interesting. So you were telling me about your diversification and how DEG funded you at a time when you were mostly working with contractors. So uh, what happened at that stage? So in 1995, when DEG came in, after that in 1996, 97, we got FMO, which was the Dutch government's organization. Then IFC Washington came in. And they also took equity in our company. 
and when they came in so then they introduced us into financing of infrastructure so how to go about assessing infrastructure financing them and uh, because then uh, both these two institutions would uh, all the three institutions that is BG FMO and IFC they trained us and our teams to make assessment of infrastructure projects and to finance and that's how we diversified into financing of infrastructure projects and india was also opening up 94 95 onwards a lot of private sector investments were encouraged by the government in uh, infrastructure projects so we did our first power plant which was a barge mounted power plant and another power plant in odisha then we did our first road project which was in andhra pradesh and uh, we did first our first bridge project so therefore that's how we got uh, and these were the first projects which was done under public private partnerships in india we did all the four airports financing so all of these projects you were the financing partner for somebody who was executing it yes 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 so we came in as a financier so as an institution so besides the banks and all who were financing but we were doing these financing as a private sector infrastructure uh, company so uh, and then you uh, further diversified into solar also like uh, from financing uh, i think you got into the solar energy business uh, like why did you decide to go beyond just financing yeah so we were the first company in 2000 to introduce the uh, government the international world banks program of uh, PVMTI, which is known as a photovoltaic market transformation initiative, so we work with the Global Environment Facility and the World Bank, and we introduced this particular project in Sundarbans, where we started financing solar uh, systems, solar water systems, solar lights, solar fans, because in the villages there were no electricity. So this is what was introduced by us into financing of that. So we basically we. came in as a financial partner and we enabled various constituents to be in a position to develop a business model where they could take money and at the same time it would serve the need of the people and because they were able to the constituents were able to earn money so they were able to take the loans and repay us and that has been our model because uh, you know when you develop certain areas and that particular time everyone is very new and our diversification also basically has primarily been it's not diversification because then we started also making equity investment because when the ifc as an institution they were they also had put their chief credit officer on our board because when they were introducing us to financing then they said that you know you should not be only taking debt but you should also be putting in equity so you have better control on the company in case there is a problem and also you be risk yourself because in debt your returns are uh, limited but therefore in some of the companies things will not work out in the manner that you have wanted it to so therefore it will be compensated through the equity investments and the equity returns so therefore we created funds and uh, which then took equity and because again as i said that it was very new so we had to also in many of the cases put operational teams because if the operation teams were not working with the promoters then we would have had no knowledge about it so in the last 30 years i think it's been a great learning journey there is nothing which 
should be done or should not be done because every even everything has to be evaluated at a particular moment of time and whatever is appropriate at that time needs to be done so uh, around this time uh, how big had you become you know when uh, i have seen courage due to take equity ownership also in projects like uh, what was like say the head count of the company or uh, some idea if you can give me so i think that we were not very many that time must must have been about we had some few branches we were about uh, 100 people and uh, the size of the company was also about 100 150 crore then gradually you see the company has also grown over a period of time and if you ask me that when we started our journey in 89 that the company would reach at this particular size we had not imagined so we were just embarked on a journey like life so you are on a journey and you don't know where life is taking you just have an open mind you see positive you look at the opportunities which are coming in evaluate the opportunities at that particular time and see that whether it makes sense to uh, capitalize on that opportunity or you just let it pass by and what you, many many times you see that something is coming is an opportunity but then after that that opportunity may become a problem so then you have to deal with that problem right 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 so uh, I, i want to understand that journey from uh, like you know uh, a handful of employees to 100 150 employees you know and this is at a time when there were no digital tools like you know today Uh, entrepreneurs and founders have access to a lot of digital tools to manage teams and so on but you know h- how did you build up this team of 150 people and who were in different locations also like like how was that journey like see basically to recollect it just it was as i said that it was just a journey which was just happening it was an unfolding of a book so you okay. know, as you keep on unfolding the book the book becomes more interesting so there then we had thousands of people joining in we had almost what 100 branches now thousands of people working all over the country if you look at thousands of people working inside the entire group which are there right. so from you know from few numbers from double digit it becomes triple digit then it becomes four digits and five digits and it just keeps on happening you don't have to in it all effortless because once you are building up an institution and if you are mm. taking the right steps then it just keeps on growing and more and mm. more people keep on joining in and more and more people so you just have to create an enabling environment and also so, uh, i want to understand like you said if you just keep taking the right steps it keeps growing so what were those right steps you took to you know become from double digit to triple digit to four digits five digits like uh, what were your learnings on building an organization so i think that one thing which was very important for us was to be doing the right things the right things means that you keep on reviewing what we do so when we were in the equipment financing business first we were doing equipments which was for road construction then we did for irrigation projects more and more road construction equipments came in so therefore we evaluated and saw that whether those would be required on the ground or not we tied up with various manufacturers all over the world who brought them into india first it was all import of the equipments which was taking place then we encouraged them to set up their plants in india so now most of the manufacturers who are manufacturing construction mining equipment healthcare equipment they have their manufacturing plants in india and they are not importing their import component has come down to maybe from anywhere from 0 to 15% 
but earlier it used to be almost 100%. So we have seen this entire journey. And we used to get lines of credit from overseas institutions and also the export credit agencies to promote these kind of businesses also. So therefore, when we are doing, when we were doing the financing, so we have seen all these particular, uh, you know, in our entire journey of 30 years, we have seen all these particular elements that how the market has developed, how we have been able to contribute, how we have worked along with the, along with the equipment manufacturers, with the customers and with the infrastructure players. You know, some would be like where you took right decisions, but eventually it would have been your people doing the right things. And, you know, how did you create that kind of a institution where everyone takes the right decisions and everyone is uh, contributing positively? And, uh, you know, I mean, one of the biggest challenges for companies is, I think, this only, like how to build, how, how to manage people and build up uh, that team of people who are uh, your biggest assets possibly. So, you, you know, that's something I wanted to uh, understand from you. I think that in any organization, people are the biggest assets. So, what we have always focused on is that when we are getting people, getting good professional means that people who have the understanding of that particular, I'm not saying that we have not gone wrong. We have made, you know, millions of mistakes in the last 30 years of Shrey also. Millions of mistakes. And in hindsight, if you look at it and see that if I had not done this, you know, I would have been better off. If I had not taken this person, I would have been better off. If I had not done this business, I would have been better off. If I had not made this investment or given this loan, I would have been better off. But I'm but in hindsight, everyone becomes wiser. At that particular time, when you make mistakes, then how do you, what we have always tried to do is that whenever we have made mistakes, we have tried to see that how do we put it in the institutional memory. So therefore, the next person does not make the same mistake. The next person may make a new mistake, which will again go to the institutional memory. But you know, you have the luxury of, that's what we keep on telling our people, that you have the luxury of making mistakes. First, quickly learn from there and see that whether that mistake was made in the past or not. If that mistake was made in the past, that means that you have not tried to learn from what the mistake the institution has made in the past. And if you have made a mistake, that you have not tried to learn from the mistake which has been made and correct it and move forward. The biggest advantage for an organization is when they are working as a team, then as they say to err is human. But if they are 10 people who are taking a decision together, then the chances of making mistake reduces. Because then 10 people, people would have put in 5 persons, 10 persons, 20 persons, they would have put in their brains together. So therefore, one person can err, but all the 20 would be making a mistake in the same thing that there, may, there is a catastrophe in store for the organization. Okay. So if I can summarize some of the learnings, one, you are, I think, strongly in favor of collective decision-making so that quality of decisions improves. And then you give freedom to people to make mistakes. And third thing is you try and build an institutional memory uh, or uh, an institutional learning from mistakes that were made uh, so that the whole organization learns from it. Yeah, because the institutionalization of uh, any of the processes and all is very important because... As we keep on saying that humans are mortals, so you know all of us we have to die. 
but an organization can live for 100 years 200 years 500 years 1000 years and why an organization can live because more and more people keep on coming in but if you have created an institution so an institution will last beyond the lives of an individual so therefore we do not believe that you know personally if i have done something that maybe that i may have started this particular idea but that does not mean and my brother and my family may have started but today today is so large that just if we claim that you know we can do everything or we do everything it will be foolhardy on our part because we are also part of the system now so when you create a system you have to become a part of that particular system we trust people so our trust with our clients our trust with our people is 100% we don't believe in 99.99% trust so we believe in 100% trust and if someone makes a mistake it is uh, tolerable we'll make the uh, correction and move forward but if someone has tried to do something which is not correct for the organization then we are also very strict in meeting out the necessary punishment because as i said that we believe in 100% trust because i think that it is very important to build up an organization on the on a very strong fabric of trust and a country also so today if you look at it that what is the biggest problem in our country and many of the countries because the trust element is missing so the fabric has got weakened so i think that it is important that an organization or a country builds up a very strong fabric of trust unless you know someone when you build up a fabric of trust you have to understand that 99% of the people will follow that maybe 1% maybe errant but you don't make for that 99% people you don't take the rule which is applicable to that 1% errant people it should be the other way around so that's what we have tried to uh, indoctrinate in our company hmm. that's very interesting so uh, coming back to the journey so early 2000s you got into financing large projects taking equity stakes so so tell me about the journey from there on so basically that was an interesting one because uh, you know we had not never taken equity stake and also when we started first for taking equity stake we did not put in management teams there so we just uh, you know thought that the client will be in a position but the client we so our mistake was we did not understand for the client also it was something which was new because so they would also make mistakes and uh, therefore and many times what happens is that the clients also make mistakes because they may have been caught up by their whims and fancies and not be going through a proper process of evaluation and uh, so we made our mistakes also then we invested in a telecom tower business so which we were able to beyond telecom so which became the largest telecom tower company in the world in 7 years time and we disinvested and we also learned the art of uh, investments and disinvestments at an appropriate time exiting but i would not say that again so the learning has been that many of the investments we have we have been able to exit at the right time many of the investments we have not been we have uh, tried to exit at the right time in many of the loans which we have given but we have not been successful so therefore you know i would say that it is a mixed bag if i say and claim that uh, you know in every 100% of the cases we have been successful that would be wrong and uh, in the last 30 years because the economy has gone through its ups and downs these challenges so we have also been a witness not only a witness to that challenge but we have also borne the brunt of that challenge so some we have been able to uh, out of some challenges we have been able to emerge without any bruises some there have been some bruises 
some they have in some burns in some cases there would be small surgery also so but that's been a part of uh, the journey so what is your uh, decision making framework on when to invest and when to exit you know how do you think about it uh, and make that decision you know how do you reach to that decision that it's uh, it's time to invest or it's time to exit so basically it's a process again so therefore let us suppose that if we go sector wise state wise because india is not a country it's a continent so therefore each state is different it's almost like europe so when we are investing in one state one state may be some state may be like greece another may be like germany so in europe so you don't have the same principles when you are investing in germany in greece because then you know someone will, will take everything away when you invest in greece you invest with a different mindset when you invest in germany then you invest in a different mindset so the different mindset so similarly when we are investing or financing in any of the states or with the government policies etc we have to keep in mind that the government policies may change state governments political parties may change they may have their uh, viewpoints which may be totally different when the new government comes in so and being in infrastructure we are exposed to all these vagaries like the vagaries of nature so we are exposed to the vagaries of the political systems to the government changes to the various kind of people who come in so it is a very sensitive sector which people don't realize yeah yeah so that has been the learning for us so you know there is nothing i would say today is uh, so the, the as you are asking that what is the framework that we have for decision making so the decision making framework is basically we do it through a collective mechanism so therefore there is one particular person who takes a decision it may have been initiated by one person definitely it has because the initiation has to start somewhere but then there are different levels where the decisions have to be the people have to give their inputs and finally it will go to our committees where the decision will be taken so there are people who have uh, who understand those businesses some people may understand different other perspective of the business someone may understand that infrastructure sector itself someone may understand the financials in the infrastructure sector someone may understand the risks of that particular sector of that particular business so it's a combined it's a collective decision making process so there everyone's inputs are taken into account and then a decision is finally made ha huh, sure sir so uh, you have seen uh, a, a lot of these uh, the term used as vagaries of nature you know like large external events which affect countries economies uh, the entire world uh, you know say 9/11 uh, the lehman crash uh, the, the current uh, covid pandemic uh, even the liberalization uh, in the 90s in india so you know uh, what was your way of dealing with these uh, large events see every time there has been some way or the other that you know we have been able to find out solutions to those particular problems with the uh, either working along with the government or working along with the institutions the bankers our clients and that is how we have been able to you know steer through all these storms in the past now also that we are going through the storm of the pandemic and especially last two years for infrastructure financing companies it has been very difficult because of the ilfs uh, episode which took place in 
So the confidence of the investor, the confidence of the bankers and the financial institutions in infrastructure financing companies have substantially reduced because we have seen the problem with IDFC, we have seen the problem with ILFS. So therefore, the confidence level is very low at this particular juncture. And there has also been a mindset change on the government because earlier the government had a... And I'm not saying that it is wrong or right because uh, you know, every government has the way of their own thinking, which is always uh, because they also have their own processes, they have their own collective wisdom, which is there. So every government takes their own decisions that what should be their policies at that particular time. So at this particular time, the government policy is that, you know, the private sector should be in a position to fend for themselves and find out solutions. So they should not be relying on the government. So they should actually become Atmanirbhar. So therefore, that is a policy. So it's fine. You know, so for in this particular times, what happens is that many of the companies may take a little longer time to be in a position to steer through these issues because many are government-related issues only. And especially in the infrastructure sector, if there's a problem, it is usually related to the government because the counterparty in a public-private partnership in infrastructure, as they say, public-private partnership, the counterparty is always a government. So by, you know, the government does not mean that government in the sense that it has to be a state or a central government. But if it is to do with the public, it is the uh, it is basically also becomes the responsibility of the government. To give you an example, let's suppose that someone has a road. So a road concession company has some problem with uh, the government that they have either not got their payments or there has been a change in the policy. So who gets affected? The public at large, because if they are not able to maintain that road, then people who are traveling on that road, because the road concession company or the power generation company or the power distribution company they are basically involved and engaged in public service directly directly and not even indirectly because you know someone who is producing luxury goods it is only limited to some people who may be buying those luxury goods but if it is a road of power if it is port so it is to do with common man because everyone has to travel on these particular on a road or they need power they need uh, to uh, travel you know maybe in a train they need to travel in the in, uh, in a plane and they need to use the airport so therefore it is for public service so therefore government gets involved and that is where the collaboration on a public private partnership is very very important but uh, you know at this particular juncture the government's thinking has been that the private sector needs to fend for themselves and find out their own solutions so therefore many of the companies many of the clients that we have financed they are trying to struggle through these particular issues because you know suddenly if you tell someone that you have to find out uh, all the solutions to your problem yourself and when you have another partner who is also uh, along with you involved in it and uh, the partner says that you have to find so it becomes difficult so many of the clients are finding this to be a difficult proposition but i'm sure that they will be in a position to find out solutions over a period of time sometimes the solution comes uh, at the right time, sometimes the solution takes a little longer time. So, but the solutions always for any problem is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, like uh, 9-11 and Lehman crash, uh, like were these significant events for you? Like, you know, did they have a significant impact? 
No, but you see that yes, it was a business it did have, but at that particular time there was a difference because, as I said, that you know every government has a different policy. That particular time during the uh, Lehman crisis, the government at that time had a policy that we are going to see that how we are in a position to support everyone in the financial sector. When there was again, because we have not, these are the recent crises, but before that we have seen in early 90s the Harshad Mehta problem, then we saw the Chetan Parik one, then we saw many of the scams in the NPFC sector in the mid 90s. So at that particular time, the approach was a little different than it is now. So you know, every government will have a different approach. So I'm uh, not saying that anything is right or wrong because it is uh, basically the collective decision of the government at that particular time. So at this particular time, the government's policies are that, you know, the private sector, they have to find out their own solutions. The government cannot be coming in, uh, you know, can, cannot be coming in holding your hands every time. Can you tell me in the last decade, what has the journey been like? Like we've covered most of the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, so, you know, what has been the uh, journey of Stray in the last decade or so? Like, you know, in terms of diversification or uh, in terms of how the institution grew? So what happened was that in 2008, before the Lehman crisis, we were fortunate just about five, six months before that, we got into a joint venture with BNP Paribas and our equipment finance company was was basically put into a separate vertical where BNP came in as a 50% partner. So that was a big support at that particular time because by the support of BNP, we were able to steer through the crisis of 2008 because BNP came in sometime in April 2008 and uh, September 2008 the Lehman crisis took place and then after that there was support also that the government was able to offer to all the financial sector constituents so therefore there was a liquidity support also which came in and uh, uh, we were able to steer through and grow and I think that from 2008 to 2018 it was almost like uh, you know, just a one-way growth, and that was you know every year we were growing by about uh, our disbursements were growing by it first year from 2009 to 10 it was about 60 percent, then 50 percent, 35 percent year to year has been the growth. It started slowing down from 2014-15, and the, for infrastructure because we took a conscious decision in 2014 to reduce our infrastructure financing portfolio and focus only on the equipment financing side and after the as i mentioned the 2018 onwards after the ilfs crisis then both the growth of the infrastructure uh, financing and equipment financing has been slowed down because it was it has been more a period of consolidation of exiting out of some of the sectors as i said that you know because we are in an area which is very much related to the government. So when I find, find difficulties in some of the areas, so it is also appropriate for us to exit out of those particular areas where the clients are finding it difficult. And uh, because as an institution, you don't want to get into a problem because uh, and complications. So that is why there has been a slowdown. And I think that this slowdown is going to continue for the next uh, couple of years where the business is there. So we are going through a consolidation phase where we are looking at that what businesses we should be in, what we should be exiting, which are the portfolios that we should downsell and exit out of 
and that has been the exercise which has been going for the last two years and which i am going which i think will continue for another couple of years so this period will be more of bringing in stability to the consolidation to the entire organization in the areas which are which we should be there in the future now i want to understand more about you as a person you know can you tell me like what is your daily routine you know how do you keep yourself uh, at the top of your game see basically uh, personally i am uh, you know i love sports so i have been almost in almost all the sports now over a period of time with age i've stabilized on a couple of things which i do on my daily routine so you know i do my yoga i do my pranayam that is my daily routine which brings in the calmness of uh, mind and also with the body and uh, then either i would be doing i i play squash so few days in a week i play squash some days i do running some days i do gym so you know i have i have my yoga plus this so this is my daily routine which is there on the physical side of it so physical side about 1 to 1 and 1/2 hours in the morning i like to spend with myself in uh, seeing that i'm fit and healthy then after that uh, you know i'm quite a relaxed kind of a person so therefore in the office etc also i like to look at things with a with a calm mind because uh, the position which uh, i have come into i have to also mentor a lot of uh, employees within the organization i have to interact with the various uh, various uh, constituents who are there with that we need to deal with them so we have, a lot of networking is required to know what is happening in the world and also in the uh, in the uh, local market in india with the various state governments because our clients are working almost all over the country involved in infrastructure so you know interacting with them knowing what is happening where the policy changes will happen giving the right kind of uh, directions and thoughts to the organization but as i said that we have a collection collective decision making process so with our employees and with everyone it is very clear that you know there is full empowerment and people are people are allowed to discuss and debate so we don't encourage people to accept what the bosses tell them to accept but we ask them to debate and discuss okay okay and uh, how do you uh, you know when you're going through a tough phase uh, how do you cope with it mentally if there is a crisis happening which may threaten the future of the organization or you know those uh, like you may have made bad decisions and so on so how do you uh, cope with that i think that that is something which is uh, you know i have been tremendously fortunate that over a period of time i have been able to calm my mind that when these ups and downs keep on coming in i am able to take it in a stride and uh, find see through it with clear cut solutions try to find out some places we are able to find out solutions some places we are not and so my mind uh, right from the beginning has got trained into looking at solutions so therefore if a problem comes in i don't find a problem to be insurmountable and i find that a problem has a solution embedded inside it so you know my mind will go to the solution and that's the reason it doesn't get troubled so uh, you have played a role in uh, building for entrepreneurs through sahaj uh, could you tell me about that 
So that's a, that has also been a very interesting experience because uh, this was an opportunity which came up in 2008 where the government decided to have these common service centers and only from the perspective that we thought that in the rural areas we can add some value that uh, we had embarked on that initiative and uh, which has resulted in building up about 80-90,000 of entrepreneurs in the villages. So it's a great satisfaction that, you know, because infrastructure is something where you don't build things for yourself because every road which is built by whoever, whether it be the contractor or the concessionaire who is running it, they do it for the public good. So the satisfaction is that if you have done something, which is if you've done a good job, then people are happy with it. If you've done a shoddy job, then it will cause inconvenience to the persons. And it's a choice with the persons who are involved in it, who are building it, or facilitating that whole thing to happen, has to take place. So therefore, I think, uh, you know, this, this was a business where I have been a facilitator, and then it is the teams which have done a great job of building up the whole organization. How exactly does it operate? Like, uh, what all services does someone, how do they sign up for it and, you know, yeah, so basically at the ground level, what we people do is that uh, they are village-level entrepreneurs who run these centers. So they are government services, they are uh, financial services, they are many other services, e-learning services, they are banking, insurance, uh, e-learning services which are offered to the villages. Uh, then there is railway ticket booking which they do. So it is like a center for every 10,000 villagers it is one center which is run by an entrepreneur and that entrepreneur may employ two, three people at his center. So it's both a brick and click model. And uh, so through that model, they are facilitating almost about 55 crore people in the villages. So, you know, you are uh, uh, like, there's a lot of humility in you in terms of uh, encouraging collective decision making, encouraging people to say no to you. Is that something which was like part of your nature or did you learn to be humble like you know how did this get developed because it seems to me like this is like a key uh, factor of uh, the way that Shrey has scaled up you know the, the humility which you have seems to be the reason so I mean what do you think about no, I think that uh, humility only comes from the fact that uh, you know a person when they know that they don't know anything then you start becoming humble so you know I always feel that there's so much to be known on this planet and we don't know. But were you like this when you were like 21? Like, you know, did you have that same level of humility or did it develop or did you like learn it over the years? So I think both because it is also dependent upon that how you grew up. So with my family also, whether it was my father, my grandfather, all of them, they taught us to respect everyone. So, you know, the people who are working with us, the respect for them. That's why in our family, we have people working in the fourth generation with us. So the respect for people is very, very important because there is no menial work which is there. So the respect for people to learn from them because every small uh, small person, every you know, everything on this planet teaches you something. So like my grandfather used to tell me that you learn from a tree. And it was a very simple learning that, you know, when you the tree bears fruits, then it bends down with humility that people can pick up the fruit. And when it has nothing, then it is standing straight. 
so you know if you know something then you will be humble if you don't know something then you will be standing uh, with pride so it's small small yeah so it's a small small learning which is very important in life which has to be incorporated and put in in practice in life but do you find the current generation of entrepreneurs to have that same level of humility no i think it's uh, it's see, it's a very personal thing some people because the way that they grew up they realize it some people they realize it over a period of time but you know either some persons will realize at the age of 5 10 15 20 25 30 or when they are getting into this symmetry they realize that they have to be humble because they are getting getting gone <laughs> but life will have to bring in humility so either you do it willingly or unwillingly what is your uh, personal quest as of now you know like what is something which you are personally driven to do uh, either inside shrey or outside like you know more at a personal level so at a at a personal level no myself i think that's the journey which each one of us we are in parts of never ending journey yeah so therefore the more that we know ourselves it is better and how we can contribute to whatever we do in touching lives of people whether it be in organization or otherwise Mr. Hemant Kanoria telling us how Shrey was built. To know more about the Shrey Infrastructure Finance Limited, log on to www.shrey.com. That's www.srei.com. You like the Founder Thesis podcast? Then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u n.in for a complete list of all our shows. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.